Welcome back to Laundromat Insights. I'm your host, Randy Radke, and my pleasure to welcome you to part two of our Laundromat Millionaire episode. Uh, we had such a great time the first time around. We couldn't cram it all into one episode. So part two of our conversation with Dave Men's Laundromat Millionaire. So when we last left off, Dave, we were talking about this purchase of a a laundromat off of Craigslist, which is a story in and of itself. And so we get that thing up and running. Quickly, you become ensconced in the industry and find out this is something you like. What happens? How does one become two, become three, and all of a sudden Queen City Laundry is is a full-on brand? Yeah. Well, big, big answer. But uh, the, the short version, Randy, is I caught the bug. I caught the laundromat bug. I already had the entrepreneurial bug. And everything that I had believed that this industry was, the things I saw, uh, the Steve Millmans of the world and the opportunities out there for us as an industry to to serve our communities better, it was just everything I thought it would be. It was hard. It was really hard. But the only thing I could think is if I can do this once without much money and not knowing what I'm doing, like a year later, I bought my second store, which was also a rundown mess. But uh, you know, the only thing I could think was, why wouldn't I do this again? And from a financial standpoint, I was still working a full-time job at the telephone company. And so when I bought my first laundromat, as I told you, I was one, hoping to not bankrupt my family, two, wanting to serve my community, and three, in kind of a best case scenario, hoping to just have a nice little side business. Like I, It never occurred to me that I could actually leave my full-time job. And so when I realized like, how did I just do this in six months? Like, really? I just did that in six months, losing $500 a week to making $1,000 a week. If I get one or two more of these, I think I can make a living doing this. Like, I so think six, I could just be a full-time entrepreneur. So six months in, you're already thinking, this is going to be, this is going to be my life. Yeah, probably not even six months. I mean, I definitely didn't know it would be what it is today, full disclosure there. But yeah, I absolutely, uh, I mean, when I named my first store Queen City Laundry, you know, there's a bunch of cities that refer to themselves as the Queen City, but Cincinnati is one of them. And when I bought my first store, it was named Hamlet Laundry. It was just like the little community it was in and I wanted to rebrand it. And so I rebranded it with kind of this vision of maybe someday having more than one location and creating kind of a private chain. But I never realized it would happen so quickly. I never realized that I would do this full time. I mean, at that time, I was a completely unattended 24-hour store. I didn't have any employees at all. I went there and cleaned before and after work. I used my, my distributor service department to fix the machines. And I would call a plumber when I needed a plumber. And other than that, it was just kind of like the Dave Men's show. And I literally, over the next four years until I got my third store and quit my full-time job, I worked anywhere from 90 to 100 hours a week, just either acquiring businesses, renovating them fixing them up, improving operations, and just building a legitimate business versus just having a little quote-unquote side hustle. So it was it was quite a journey. But um, if you haven't noticed, and I know you have, I, I don't do anything halfway. And so when you, when you get me worked up, you get me going, <laughs> watch out. I have and, seen uh, that. I was, yeah, I was already passionate about the business. I, I was already passionate about business, and I thought this was the right avenue for me. And that first six months, I mean, lit a fire under me like I'd nothing I'd ever had maybe in my life other than maybe when I became a dad. I think, the, I think the epiphany for me was all that fun, making money, realizing I had, quote unquote, done it, at least phase one. And then I was really starting to network and learn the industry more and more every day. And the more I learned the industry, the more I realized there is opportunity everywhere, like everywhere. Did you get the sense that that when the, everything seemed to coalesce for you, and I know you had looked at other businesses, did you really come to grips with like, this is what I was put on this planet to do? I know I looked at other opportunities, but this is wh why I'm here. I'm here to run the best vended laundry possible and build this out and offer even more of these to my community. You know, I eventually did absolutely come to that conclusion, but it definitely didn't happen quickly. It probably was five or six years in before that clicked for me. And I think part of it is I literally worked myself beyond what I would consider to be healthy. 
I mean, I worked my full-time job and one business and then two and then three and, and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so we would have to really bootstrap things and it was incredibly stressful. And I had three young kids at home and a wife with a career. And I mean, it was chaos. It was complete and utter chaos. And so I, I, you know, I think after I bought my third store and closed on it and I left my corporate career and I was, you know, another phase of excitement. And then as that kind of not, not went away, but kind of died down into reality, that was probably at that point, five, six, seven years in something like that, where I actually realized like, this is like my life's work. And then, and then there was another phase to that when I found Laundromat Millionaire. When it, you know, the book and all this stuff, there was a whole different level of this is my life's work. And the beauty is I didn't have to pick between the two because while I spend a lot of time now talking about my book and my podcast and speaking at events and different things like that for Laundromat Millionaire, the, the beauty is they're, they're absolutely symbiotic. I mean, one involves the other, which involves the other. And so it's, it's an incredible way to make a living is to have two insane passions that are kind of one in the same, but very different. One is more localized, serving the community locally, impacting the community and creating jobs and things like that. And then the other one is much more of a macro industry kind of message and dream of truly wanting to elevate the industry and to do my part to inspire others and encourage others and teach others how I did what I did and so use my story and my message. So let's talk about that a little bit. At what point does that idea start to take root? Because it's really easy to look at your story and say, you're working 90 hour weeks, you've got multiple locations. I mean, you're burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the idea to write a book, what, because you have 15 or 10, <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes of free time on any given day to, <laughs> to take on more tasks. How does that just yeah. kind of pop into, I'm going to do this? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a weird story, actually, because uh, the book wasn't really supposed to be an entrepreneurial book, and it wasn't supposed to be a laundromat book. And it ended up being both. And what happened is, <clears throat> right about the time I was acquiring my third store, which is also about the time that I quit my job and left my career, uh, my my older brother died of drug overdose. And he had struggled struggled with drug addiction his entire life. And that was the culmination. I've been through a lot of tragedy. I lost my younger sister to brain cancer when she was, she got it when she was nine and passed when she was 14. And I was 14 when she got it. And I was 19 when she passed. So my teenage years, my most formative years, I basically watched my little sister die for five years and, and had a lot of other tragedy between my bankruptcy and growing up in poverty and things like that. And when I lost my brother, which was at that point, my only sibling and my hero, it, it really kind of sparked something in me. And one day I just realized like, you know, I've lived a pretty crazy life of like kind of tragedy. And, and, uh, I just realized like I had a story in me and, and nothing to do with entrepreneurship at all. Nothing to do with laundromats at all. I told Carlo one day, I said, you know, I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm not an educated guy by any means, certainly not a polished writer. It's like, but I just feel like I have a story in me. And so I decided to, to write a book. had nothing to do with business at all. It was more to do with my life and overcoming tragedy. In fact, at one point, the first rendition of the book was called Grit, um, was, the, was the name of the book before, you know, before it was finished. And uh, what happened is over the next several years, I told you that I you know, basically rewrote the book seven yep. times. Yep. And every time, Carla kept giving me the same piece of advice. And she was like, how is this book going to impact the world? Because if it doesn't impact the world, then it's it's just Dave telling a story. And at one point, I thought the story and the message and the teaching was overcoming adversity, overcoming tragedy. And what she kept telling me is you absolutely have a story in there about that for sure. But she was like, that story's kind of been told like 600 times. And I was like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't think that's a reason I shouldn't tell my story. But it, it is definitely something she was like, do you think that'll like resonate with the general population? Because my thing was, I don't want to write a book just to write a book. I don't want to write a book to pat myself in the back and call myself an author and, you know, charge more for coaching or something like right. some people do. I mean, my thing was, I want to impact the world with this book. If I'm going to write it, I'll, that's what I want to do. So over the seven year period of time, what happened is I went from moderately successful and middle class to multimillionaire. And 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 I realized like that's the story. Like that's the 
that's the message is it, it there's a yes it's overcoming tragedy and all these things and the grit that it takes to be successful but it's also pivoting it in a way of why did i overcome these things because i'm a passionate entrepreneur because i care about others i care about serving the community uh, what drove me into entrepreneurship was the some of the tragedy in my life and me wanting to live my life on a different way, you know, and I, I didn't want to just punch the clock nine to five and, you know, work for 40 years and then sit in a rocking chair for 10 and die. Like I didn't want that. I wanted something more. And that's a big part of what drove me to entrepreneurship. And then of course, along the way in entrepreneurship, it was by no means a smooth path. Um, all the working I talked about and all the debt we borrowed, all the money we borrowed and things like that and the stress and the anxiety. And I talk about all this in my book, some some a little deeper than others. But what ended up happening is I came out to the other side of it um, as I was finishing the the last rendition of my book. And I had just been on um, two podcasts, one with Jordan Berry of Laundromat Resource, a uh, friend of mine, and one on the Bigger Pockets podcast. And Jordan had just asked me to come on because he was starting a podcast and I was actually his first guest. And I just told my laundromat story. And it's a longer format, so we talked for a while about it. And then that story got picked up by Bigger Pockets, which is a much bigger company. And they asked me to tell my story on there. And so I went on that one and they, they have a humongous audience. And I got emails, messages, tech. I still get them two years later, but I got hundreds of them every day for like months. It was insane how much awareness I got. And that was right about the time that I was kind of polishing and finishing my book. And a guy emailed me one day and he was like, you know, I've always been interested in the laundromat industry. Would you be willing to jump on a call with me? Well, at the time I wasn't really doing much coaching. I would help people, but I wouldn't call myself a coach. Um, and he, I said, sure, why not? And I, you know, just jumped on the phone with this guy. I didn't even know. And I was just telling him about the industry and kind of, you know, <laughs> correcting some of the things that he thought and stuff like that. And, uh, but I'll never forget when he got on the phone, he was like, I can't believe I'm talking to you. And I was like, talking to me. <laughs> You're a rock star. I can't believe you're talking to me. And he was like, yeah, you're the laundromat millionaire. <laughs> I was like, I'm the who? I'm the what? And I got off that phone with him and I looked at Carla and I said, "I have," because I had been struggling with the name of my book. I knew grit was a big part of it. Uh -huh. but I got off that phone, that phone call with that guy. Never talked to him again. Don't remember his name to this day. And I looked at her and I said, I got the name of my book. She was like, what? And I was like, laundromat millionaire. And she was like, no way. <laughs> she was like, absolutely not. You are, there's no way. And I, and I just, it, that conversation and him saying that, um, cause in the, in the podcast, I, in the bigger pockets podcast, I did refer to the fact that, you know, kind of the end game was I was becoming a millionaire, right? From poverty to millionaire through laundromats, which is kind of a unique story in a lot of ways. And it just, that's what kind of triggered the whole thing. And I was able to just finish up and polish the book with this, rags to riches, overcoming or overcoming adversity, uh, tragedy, all these different things. But eventually at the end of the day, it comes back to the fact that it's a teaching memoir. It's in a made, it's a made in a way that I really truly believe that it can help any entrepreneur. You don't have to be in the laundromat industry, it's certainly more applicable to our industry. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what I wanted. I wanted to leave my mark on the world. And I knew that I needed a name and a title um, and a story that I had, I just hadn't put it all together. And that guy calling me that was where that moniker comes from. Um, and I decided to run with it. And then now I've kind of polished this into a, okay, this isn't so much about Dave being a laundromat millionaire as it is now through my coaching and my different programs I've created, my podcast. Now me and Carla have pivoted our focus. Okay, the company is called Laundromat Millionaire. The mission is let's help make you a laundromat millionaire. And so now these, these two, three, 400 laundromats that I said I wanted to own someday, I'll never own, I'll never operate, but I can reach out to people in the industry that are what I call the 10-year-old Dave Mens. Dave Mens, the little kid that wanted to be a business owner and entrepreneur, didn't know how to. And I can help people that aren't in the industry get into the industry the right way and help them avoid a lot of the mistakes. But I also spend a lot of time helping laundromat owners now that are in the business and are successful, you know, in some way, but they aren't thriving. They aren't thriving in the way that they want to. And when they hear my story and they say, well, wow, if this guy can do it, then I can do it too. 
Maybe I just need different information. Maybe I just need to do more networking, which is a big part of my story. It's how I've learned a lot of what I've learned. Maybe it's I need a coach. Maybe it's I need a mentor. Uh, maybe I need to start valuing and appreciating my my distributor more than I do and not just treating them as a middleman, but actually treating them as a partner in my business, uh, which is what me and Steve Millman have always done that has made our relationship such a uh, such a beautiful thing. And and these are these are just all the messages that kind of came flowing out of me. And I just knew that was the name of my book. And my wife to this day hates that name. <laughs> I said, no, one of the things I know about business and marketing is you got to cut through the noise and there is more noise than ever. And I have never heard the term laundromat and millionaire in the same world in my life. And that's what got me a book publishing deal. That and my story, they drilled down on my story and they were like, wow, this is unique. And the fact that the term laundromat millionaire had never really been spoken in the same sentence together. Uh, that was what got me my my book publishing deal. And the, so the point is that when I realized I had a platform that I never dreamed I would have, that I just kind of ran with it and said, "How? what can I do with this? Can I help a service provider uh, like Sense who provides a, you know, a, a software platform and wants to revolutionize the industry and these different things? Or can I help a uh, Hipsch and Speed Queen? Uh, you know, provide a better, better machine by giving them feedback through my distributor or, or networking with people or speaking at distributor events and, and talking about something I'm extremely passionate about was you go to a distributor show, guess who's there? Distributors, service providers, and laundromat owners. There's a lot of people in our industry that believe those three people or, or categories are advert, are adversaries. And I think that's a load of crap. Right. Um, absolutely. I think, I think we're absolutely partners. We're in this together. And if you're not in there together, then you just haven't built the right relationships. Now, maybe your distributor isn't worthy of that relationship, which I tell people, then you need to go find one that is. Because that doesn't make all distributors bad. It just makes that one bad. And when I talk to distributors and they say, oh, laundromat owners don't appreciate what we do for this industry and for the community. They just think we mark up equipment and sell metal. And I say, well, do you? No, this is what we do. We do this. We do that. We do this. We do that. Awesome. You're a rock star distributor. You need to find rock star laundromat owners like Dave Menz who value and appreciate what you bring to the market. And you need to stop working with people that think you are a middleman. For sure. This isn't rocket science, guys. We're all in this together. And if you think we're adversaries, like you're not going to want to talk to me. Yeah, that's a I, don't, I don't believe that. And the contrary is true for me. It's literally what has made me successful. Um, and once again, Randy, that's what I want to share with the world. That's the message that is Laundromat Millionaire. And yeah, we drill down on that. Um, we absolutely drill down on that in our coaching platform and things like that. When I do one-on-one -on -one coaching or even group coaching with new owners and these different programs that we set up and our conference and things like that, people were really surprised when they went down to the conference in Fort Lauderdale and, uh, and, and, and nobody on the stage was selling anything. And that was one of my requirements of the sponsors and the speakers um, was we're not here to sell guys. We're here to inspire. We're here to teach. We're here to connect. And if that's the kind of a sponsor you want to be for that type of event, then let's go. But if you just if you just want to write me a check for permission to get on stage and sell for 20 minutes to 125 of my friends, then I'm not really interested in your check. And I turned down several sponsors who basically thought a spot on my stage was for sale. Right. And it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. There, but that's that's kind of how how it's come to be. So digging into that a little bit um, with the coaching, you, you mentioned you're working with new investors, you're working with veteran owners. Obviously, you have a great pool to draw from. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you shake your head and go? And, I, and I'm almost thinking in terms of, of a veteran owner where Dave Michael, are you kidding? You're, you're doing this and expecting to be successful. What are the things you're seeing people do that are just head scratchers? Well, when it comes to veteran owners, you know, most people that approach me, they at least have done a little bit of homework and they, they know that they're going to get, uh, I always, I always tell my coaching clients, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, if not first what you want to hear. Um, <laughs> That's called so very think, blunt, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and I don't apologize for that. And I tell everybody that like, look, my coaching might not be for you and that's okay. Um, but, but really what I tell people is I, I see two things more often than not. I see a lot, a lot, a lot of people in this industry that are successful on some level and no one would call them unsuccessful. 
and they think they've arrived. They think they are the top of the industry, and they don't think there's anywhere else to go. Some of them are incredibly arrogant and can't be told or shown otherwise, and you can't do much with that, right? But there's a good portion of them that when they listen to a podcast or they listen to a book or an interview or just a comment on a Q&A on YouTube or whatever, they're like, huh. And they have that curiosity that Dave Menz has. And they're like, I thought I was at the top of the industry, and now I realize maybe there's another level. And they're just incredibly inquisitive and curious. They're humble. They're coachable. But they're very successful. And they come to me, and they're like, I want to know what you know. How did you do what you did? Yes, we want to drill into the practical application of operations and logistics and pickup and delivery and you know, store layout and equipment and all. Yes, we drill into all those things and they might not be doing them bad, but that doesn't mean that they're – what I always tell people is just because you're surviving doesn't mean you're thriving. Um, and, and when we, we get this mentality in our mind that we can always be better. We never arrive. Entrepreneurship is not a destination. We don't arrive there. It's a journey. It's a path. It's a passion. It's a livelihood. And when we approach it from that way, then we understand that one, we'll never know everything there is to know about this industry. But what I also tell my clients all the time is if you ever do, if you ever find yourself in a place where you know everything there is to know about this industry, I got news for you. You're going to wake up tomorrow and something changed. Because this industry is always evolving and manufacturers and distributors and other laundromat owners, some that may compete with you, are pushing the envelope. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not in your market just yet. Maybe right now you're coasting. And until that top operator, that new blood comes into your market and decides to take things to a level that you didn't even know existed, you'll be fine. But as soon as they come in and decide to do something differently, you're in big trouble. That's one of the first things we do is talk them through those things because really what they're saying is I'm challenging myself and I want to know what you know. I want you to challenge me. I want you to show me what I don't know. And that just goes back to a coachable mentality. And I have a lot of clients that come to me that are much more successful than me. And that's why I find it so amusing when people are like laundromat millionaire. You know, there's a lot of laundromat millionaires. Who does this guy think he is? (laughs) Tell them all the same thing. I'm like, I'm aware of that. They're my friends. And guess what? You know how I know what I know is they taught me. Like I, in the first, you know, first part of this uh, interview, I was talking about, I flew all over the country and drove all over the country and, you know, yeah, maybe nobody ever really coached me per se, but I'd grab a nugget from this guy and a nugget from this lady. And I'd go over here for a half an hour and have lunch and they would share this and this person would share that with me. And that's how I learned what I learned. So I, I'm not under any impression that I'm by any means the most successful person in the industry. I just happen to be, as far as I can tell, probably the most transparent and the one that's honestly willing to get out there in public and kind of take some arrows. Because when you put yourself out there, like you're going to get arrows, you're going to get them shot at you. And, you know, when when you're already successful and you're comfortable, um, you know, not a lot of people have a, have that, you know, have a stomach for that or a desire for that or a heart for that. I just happen to. And so I, I say all the time, I'm not sure how I got here, but I know why I'm here. I absolutely believe I'm here to impact the industry, and that's why I'll talk to anybody that'll listen, and that's just who I am. So what I'm hearing a lot is the the idea of complacency, right? Whether it's a sliding scale, I could be a little bit complacent that my store is operating. I'm still doing all the the, the things I need to do. It's clean. It's well lit. All the things that I promised customers I would give them from the start. How does Dave Menz keep his business from becoming complacent? I don't think I'm capable of that. I think I might have to die. That was what I suspected. (laughs) The DNA tells me that right away. Yeah, I mean, I I just, I mean, the, the only thing that could happen to me to cause that to happen is for me to just completely lose my passion because I am extremely hot and cold. I mean, I guess, I guess in theory, if I took enough arrows, because it, it does get tough after a while to, to take a, you know, a lot of arrows. And I, I mean, I guess there's a possibility that I could just throw up my hands one day and be like, I just don't see it. But even that, that would apply to probably laundromat millionaire. I don't think there's anything that could cause me to lose passion for serving my community and making a living. And, and I don't do anything halfway. So if I'm going to run a laundromat, I'm going to run it the best way I know how today. 
So you've never had to check yourself? No, absolutely not. In fact, I have to check myself in the other direction. I have okay. to I have to pull myself back because I told you I work 90 to 100 hours a week. Like I I overdo it. I I, burn, I you know, I I can't say I've ever burned myself out because I've always found new levels, but I've always been worried that I would. I've absolutely pushed my family too hard too fast at times, no doubt about it. So we can all do a better job. I mean, definitely we can all push a little bit harder. Let's take a look at the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. What what do we need to work on as an industry to continue to elevate our image? That image has gotten uh, dramatically better over the last 25 years yes. plus. But how do we hone it further and, and do a better job collectively? I think some of it is things we've already been doing better every year for at least the 15 years I've been in the industry, which is talking more about the facility and the operations, or I'm sorry, the facility and the infrastructure side of things. But I think actually the secret sauce is to talk, share, educate, hire coaches, mentors, whatever you want to call it, on the operation side of things. Because I don't hear that. I don't hear that talk about talked about near enough. Like when I got in the industry, nobody really talked about anything. I mean, it didn't I mean, granted social media didn't exist and stuff, but I mean, it was like, if your laundromat didn't have 80% of your equipment broke down and a homeless guy living in the back, you, you were killing it. You know, I mean, if your equipment worked, you were good, but that's, I always tell people that's the operation side of thing. And so that's a conversation that has happened and should continue to happen. Talking about widening aisles and putting six foot drains or uh, six inch drains in instead of four inch drains and usually using drain troughs like my uh, distributor HM cells and things like that, that can speed up the process, give people a better experience, having wider aisles, uh, having more user friendly interactive controls on your machines. Um, having a larger gas line with a loop so that you're at peak times, your gas, you know, you don't lose gas pressure. And th- these are all like infrastructure um, and facility conversations. And what I hear over the 15 years I've been in the industry is when we talk about bettering the industry and improving the industry, 99% of the conversations go there. And that's a good thing because we needed to get better. And I think we still need to get better. Um, I think we're way better than we were even five years ago, which is awesome. That's exciting for me. What I see is the biggest hole in our industry is we don't talk anywhere near enough about operations. We don't talk about staffing and the value of being an attended store. We don't talk about the value of um, professional premier wash dry fold services. Um, we talk about uh, drop-off laundry service almost as if it's a commodity. Like you, Randy, drop off your laundry to me. I hand it to an employee. They do your laundry however they would do their laundry at home. They put it in a garbage bag and hand it back to you, and that's a drop-off laundry service. And and those people are still charging 80, 90 cents a pound. Well, there's a whole different side of the industry, guys, and I'm a part of it. And it's very exciting. I charge two forty nine a pound for drop-off laundry. Or I'm sorry, for pickup and delivery. Um, there's a whole different side of the industry, but we have a very repeatable, professional product, a finished product. It's an experience. It literally saves a customer about 10 hours a week of their life, 40 hours a month. If you're paying four or $500 a month for that as a family of three or four, that's a steal for most middle-class, upper-middle-class families. <clears throat> I'll give you another example, Randy. We talk about being attended as if it's a uh, you're either attended or you're not attended. And I tell people all the time, do you realize there's probably 200 categories of an attendant? And people are like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, there's, there's what I call the commodity attendant or a body, meaning you have a human being in your store, but that's about it. That's how you trained them. That's how you paid them. That's the expectations. And that's what you get. And then there's another level where, okay, there's a, maybe a little bit more of an expectation. And maybe, you know, I hear people brag all the time, I don't pay minimum wage. And then I ask them what they do pay, and it's a dollar over minimum wage. And I'm like, do you, do you understand how labor pools work? And they're like, what do you mean labor pools? Well, do you understand like labor tiers and how there's people fit into different categories of like an entry-level labor tier? And if you're not paying at least $4 an hour above minimum wage, you might as well pay minimum wage because you're competing with the same labor pool. You're paying the, you know, when people say, oh, you, you don't get more productivity out of somebody just by paying them more. Well, that's true until you get to a different tier of labor pool. Mm-hmm. And right. when you get to a different tier of labor pool, that is about a $4 an hour above minimum wage. So it's relative to your market. 
Um, you can you ha- you can have different expectations of the quality candidates that will come in, and their behavior and the way that they will treat your customers, which directly affects the customer experience, which directly affects your value proposition, which directly affects what you can charge for your services. So I hate it when people talk about our industry in this commodity mindset of just make it clean and keep the machines working and you'll be just fine. And I'm like, that should be the floor. Right. Yep. Like that should be the absolute minimum expectation in our entire industry. The worst operator in our industry should have that level of standard. And the fact tires and we, a motor. <laughs> yeah, the fact that we talk about that as if that's a, that's that's success. And and another thing that drives me crazy is when I see statistics and research studies and how great our industry is, which I believe our industry is great, no doubt. And they're like 95% success rates and things like that. And I'm like, we got to put these things in context because what does success look like? Does success just mean you didn't close? You didn't go out of business? That's, that's success because I think we need to change the conversation. So my point is what I always tell people in, in, in the laundromat millionaire message is on the path to laundromat millionaire for you, for you, the laundromat owner is yes, you got to get your facilities right. That's your product, but you also got to get the service right. You got to, you have to have attendance on duty or, or at least amazing technology there. Don't get me wrong. There are amazing unattended laundromats that do a fantastic job serving their community, but they invest in technology and the owner is always available and they have people on call that if someone has a problem, they live five minutes away, they have systems and process in place. So when those issues come up, they don't just die. They're actually addressed. And so my point is what I always tell people is there's two sides to operating at a laundromat at a high level. There's the facility and there's the operations. Absolutely. For some reason, our industry talks about the first one 99% of the time and rarely talks about the operations. And when we do talk about the operations, we talk about, you know, what's what's some best practices for uh, packaging laundry? I'm like, I've literally heard that conversation 683 times in the last year. Why are we not talking about things like how how do we build a team that allows me as a laundromat owner to not have to work in the business? So I can be a visionary, I can grow my business, I can articulate the mission of this laundromat. See, all these things sound like, you know, I hear people say all the time, that's just fluff. I'm like, no, not if you believe it. That's not fluff. That'll permeate the culture of your team. And the culture of your team is, is the experience that a customer gets when they walk into your store. If they sit in the back and they hide and they play on their phone and they hope that the employee, that the customer doesn't know that there's an attendant there, then you have a body. If they walk in the door and your employee is standing by the front door greeting them and offering the kids a sucker and asking if they can help carry their laundry in, that's an experience. And if you think the value prop for that isn't 100 to 200% more than, you know, from one to the other, then, I mean, you're missing the boat. Because the beauty of the whole thing is we're, yes, all here to make money, but I hope we're all here to serve our communities. And bringing the conversation full circle, when you offer what I call a full-service laundry center, the odds of anyone in your market competing with you at that level are almost zero. That's just a fact. But so when we talk about the future of our industry and how do we get where we're going and what is that vision and what does it look like, that's what it looks like. And that doesn't even involve the, the amazing tools and resources that are being built for our industry and technology and how we can leverage and utilize those and to make our teams more efficient and make that rock star attendant or manager even more valuable, which means you can pay her more or him, and you can charge them. You can charge more for that experience. Absolutely. Everybody thinks that the limit on what they can charge is a quarter more than their competitor. Like even if I hear, I hear people say it all the time, I'm the high price leader in my market. Okay. What is, what does that look like to you? Well, I'm a little bit better than them. And I have every, every machine in my store is more expensive. Okay. How much more expensive? 25 cents. So they have a 60 pound machine that's six seventy five, and you have a 60 pound machine that's $7. Mine are 12. Wow. And I have and I have more business than I I know what to do <laughs> in those things. I mean, we do very little marketing anymore. Like, but but the but the beauty of the whole thing is, you know, we could talk about money all day, which is important, but 
everybody, I always want to bring people back to the conversation of why would people pay $12? That's insane. Right. Yep. Why would they pay $12 for that machine when they can go up the road and get it for $675 or $875? That's my community telling me that they value what I provide to the community as a service rather than a commodity. Absolutely. And yeah. I believe that's the future of our industry. And to be clear, there's about 15 to 20% of the industry that's been operating this way for a solid 10 years, solid 10 years. But that leaves 80% of us behind. And so, you know, there's a certain portion of the industry that I believe doesn't want to change, doesn't want to learn. And we, once again, can't do anything about that. Um, but I really believe, uh, maybe I'm a little naive, but I really believe that there's a good portion of our industry uh, in that 80% that if they're shown a better way and they see that the owner gets a better lifestyle and they make more money and they pay their staff more, which helps them create a different culture, which makes them have a more reliable employee and more layers of management, that's a beautiful thing. Because I hear all the time when people, when I talk about my business model, you know, we have multi-store ownership. We have store managers at each store. We have delivery drivers. We have a supervisor over our delivery drivers. We have a third shift laundry crew that does the laundry overnight. When the stores close, we have a supervisor on third shift. We have um, store managers in each store. We have two assistant GMs and we have a GM. And the leadership team of three at the top run my entire company. I don't. They do. When I tell people that, you know what they say to me? I don't want to work that hard. And so you're a little more than just the attended laundromat. That, <laughs> but, what, but what people don't understand is I work less now than I've ever worked in my life. I don't work in my business. I work on my business. Right. That's what people don't understand. That's the difference. They think, they think as you add layers of complexity to your business, that that means more work and more stress for the laundromat owner. And if you're doing it wrong, that's exactly what it means. My message to our industry is if you do it right, you get the lifestyle that me and a bunch of other people in the industry already have. I absolutely believe the old uh, Grant Cardone quote, get up every day and work like someone's coming to take your business because they are. For sure. Yeah. I absolutely believe that to its core. And when you operate at the top of the industry with facilities and operations and team, you can charge higher prices. And you can have the best lifestyle of any laundromat owner in the country. And I'm, I'm not the only one. That's the message. The message is, yes, I do these things. And then I always hear back from people, oh, but it's, you know, you're, you're, but you're in Cincinnati. I could never do that in New York or I, could, I couldn't do that in Omaha or whatever. And I'm like, really? Because I actually know somebody that does this in Omaha. They're a friend of mine. I flew out and saw him two years ago. So I actually call BS on that. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't, I don't know, you know, once again, I'll just keep saying the same thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's what I believe our industry needs to hear. A lot of us don't want to hear it. We can't help them. The ones that do, I think we need to talk more. I think we need to meet more. I think we need to connect more. We need to listen to more podcasts like this. We need to meet up at the clean show. I was just reading an article and I'm rambling. I apologize. I was just reading an article the other day talking about the value of a, uh, of a trade, um, a trade show. And it really opened my eyes to something, and it was given five tips on how to be successful at a trade show. And one of them was, don't look to network, look to make connections. And I thought, wow, how's, how deep is that? That's yeah. good stuff right there. For sure. We are, we are blessed. We are blessed with a, a great organization. We are blessed to have a, a great industry trade show that offers those opportunities for sure. Switching gears, you are coming off... Uh, by all accounts, a very successful laundromat millionaire conference. I believe your first one. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. What uh, what were you hoping that people would walk away from? And uh, will there be one in 2023? Yeah, thank you. First of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to tear up here, but it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I wanted to do a couple things. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to show the industry that us laundromat owners are capable of a lot more than just running a laundromat. Sometimes you could tell people that, but they don't believe it. Uh, sometimes you got to show them. And there was a lot of people um, hoping that I would crash and burn and that it would be, I would be proved wrong that I couldn't do this. And man, was the, was it stressful? 
it was a ton of work and an insane amount of money for an individual to do. Now, we had some sponsors that were amazingly generous. Um, and <laughs> before the conference was even over, half of them came up to me and said, count me in for double, um, which was just incredibly generous in and of itself. But ultimately, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, you know, part of my message at the conference was that we're all in this together. Like we're not, we're not adversaries. Um, I didn't want it to be a sales pitch. I wanted to be educational and inspirational, and I wanted to be about people connecting. And so, a big part of it was over the last fifteen years, I've built a pretty robust network, and a solid percentage of my network, uh, people I consider friends, um, are just absolute rock stars in this industry. And I wanted to put them all in a room together, and uh, you know, probably half the people came for other reasons. But I can tell you for certainty about half the people that were there came for me. They came because I asked them to. They bought a ticket. I mean, I didn't. it wasn't free, but they came because I asked them to. That's amazing. And I, and I wanted to create the power of the room because I want our industry to understand that the reason, the reason I am so successful to this day living my dream is because of networking. It's because of mentors. It's because of distributors. Because people would share little nuggets of information and send me little cheat sheets that they had made up or send me a picture of a decal they put on their washer. But the flip side of that is while those people were all very generous with their time in very small doses, which were all busy, the flip side of that is I had to obsessively go looking for that information. And I don't think we should have to work that hard. Like how I have gotten what I've gotten was really hard. And part of my message is it shouldn't be this hard for you. And so whether it's a podcast like this, a podcast like Planet Laundry or Jordan Berry's at Laundromat Resource or whatever, the fact of the matter is the more of this we do, the more sharing, the more communicating at the clean show. I don't know how many people I've talked to and I said, let me tell you right now, the biggest mistake people make at the clean show, stay out till one or two in the morning drinking. And then they show up at the show at 11 o'clock in the afternoon because the trade show floor opens at 10. You know what they missed? In my opinion, one of the most valuable parts of the show, which is the educational sessions that the CLA puts on before the trade show floor opens. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how much I've learned at those things. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I, was, I wanted to put some together. Um, it was a dream of mine to show the industry the powerful network I had built, but I wanted to share them with each other. And the crazy thing is me and Carla and our team were so busy that we got to do hardly no networking. And it was so stressful, but it was still so worth it because what? these people connected with each other. And I see them uh, texting each other and calling each other. And someone texted me the other day, a friend of mine that's in Detroit and said, hey, I'm driving out to Oklahoma in a couple of weeks to meet up with blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? That's awesome. And they're like, thank you, because I met them at your conference. What's it feel like? You put you put in all that work up front. You know, it's it's like planning a party, right? You put in all that stressful hours, inviting people, you know, getting things situated, and you always have your fingers crossed that people are going to show up. That thing, nothing's going to go wrong. What's it feel like when when you look out into that room and you see that the people showed up from equipment distributors to equipment manufacturers to laundromat owners across the country. How do you feel looking at that? Yeah. I'm not sure. Humbling. <laughs> uh, proud. Overwhelming. <laughs> uh, stressful. I mean, just authentically to share with people, uh, we, we wrote checks for $350,000 out of our personal account that we were not guaranteed to get back. No one could have come to that conference. No one could have sponsored that conference. Both would have been completely understandable because who am I to, to believe I can do this? Who am I to believe I can convince 125 people to fly across the country and pay $1,500 for a ticket and stay in $400 a night rooms at a five-star resort? Like, who am I? And, and there was times I was like, what did I do? Like, <laughs> what, like, what have I done to my family? But one of my biggest strengths and one of my biggest weaknesses simultaneously is I'm a giver. 
And I won't lie, Randy, there was a time in that process where I was like, I've given too much. I went too far. And this really could hurt my family. Really, really could hurt my family. And I, I knew that I could get 50, 70 people there. There wasn't a doubt in my mind. Uh, but I never dreamed that I could get basically twice that. And it was just the most amazing culmination of energy. Uh, people like Brian Grell, people like Chris Mihalik, people like Alex Joukowsky, Jordan Berry. Um, I, could go, I could name almost everybody in the room, to be honest with you, not to mention the organizations that just are positive human beings who want our industry to be better, and they have something to share with the world. And there's not a better way to do it. And it's hard. I mean, we all, it's money and it's time and it's resources. And everyone there was away from their family for, you know, three or four days. Um, but it was just the most amazing experience that that you can imagine. And I've experienced smaller versions of that through other conferences and clean shows. And, you know, I mean, there's been times at the clean show where I, you know, the first few years I went, I didn't know that day four was a pretty big letdown from day three and day two and day one. And I was just naive. And I, so I stayed the whole time when a lot of people leave and day four was one of the most valuable days in the world to me, because you know what everybody in that room had time. They would freely give that time on, on the fourth day that they wouldn't give you on day one or two. True. And it was insanely valuable, but I took advantage of it too. So I want to share both sides of the equation. If you don't come to something like that, it can't impact you in that way. But if somebody like Dave Menz doesn't put it on, you also can't be impacted in that way. And I wanted to show our industry that while the CLA is an amazing organization and I appreciate everything they do, that they are a trade association and they are not singularly as an organization responsible for educating and networking and creating opportunities for our industry. I wanted to show people that I don't just talk that I do. And the, the amount of support I got was just overwhelming. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Is it coming back in 2023? Have you decided? Um, we absolutely plan to do another one. Um, we're not sure if it'll be in 2023 or not, uh, but we are hoping to. Okay. So yeah, we're we're trying to look at timelines and you know sponsors and things like that. And so you know, if it's okay with you, Randy, and you can edit this out if you want. Uh, if anyone's interested in you know in uh, being a part of that, whether you're in uh, a company that service provider in the industry or just an individual, or you think you have a message and you would like to speak at the next one. The answer is, uh, I, you know, unless, unless Dave Menz leaves this earth really early, uh, <laughs> there'll be another one. Uh, but I, I can't commit to a date or time yet, but when it happens and how quickly it happens and how much better it is than the last one is absolutely determined by the community that decides to rally around the next laundromat millionaire conference. Because uh, while I'm really proud of it, like no one in this industry, no one will ever understand what you know what I put my family through to make that happen. Sure, like it was, it was, it was rough, and it was worth it. Um, but we can't do that again by ourselves. I, I want to give you a chance to to plug. I mean, if people want to have that conversation with you and and get on board, they want to buy your book, um, they want to communicate with you, uh, avail themselves to your coaching, where do you want people to go? Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, my my website, laundromatmillionaire.com, which is spelled laundromat with an O, is my website. If you just go Google my name, you'll find way more than you may want to. Uh, all the different podcasts I've been on and things like that. You can get my book. It's available anywhere that bookstores, uh, anywhere that sells books now. Uh, I had the full release of the book. It's been a pre-sale through my website for six months, but it was actually just released by my uh, publisher. Anyway, so you you can get my book anywhere, bookstores, anywhere you find you know books are sold. Um, as far as the conference or connecting with me, things like that, I mean, people can email me. Uh, which I'm, you know, my email address isn't a secret and I'm going to be, you know, I don't know when this will come out, but I'm going to be at the clean show and I'll be at excellence in laundry and I'll be at every networking event that you can imagine. And, uh, I'll probably be the loud guy giving hugs. And, uh, so uh, what I always try to ask of people is I'm realizing that people, some people at least are starting to look at me through a different lens, which isn't totally comfortable to me. 
And what I mean by that is they look at me as like that guy. And I remember that there was a time when I went to my first couple clean shows and I would be at the clean show and I would walk by and I would see someone like Brian Wallace, but I would never approach him. I was completely intimidated by they're a, they're a leader in our industry. They're a legend. They're a whatever. Don't do that with me, please. I may not know who you are, so I can't just walk around randomly approaching every person. But if you walk by me at a conference or a clean show or heck, if you walk by me at dinner or whatever, and you look up and recognize me, I'm just a guy. I just I just own laundromats. That's it. And I'd love to to meet you. So whether it's email, in person, uh, check out my you know our podcast. Me and Carla have a podcast, Laundromat Millionaire Show. You know, you can find it on our YouTube channel. You can find it on any podcasting platform. Um, I appreciate the opportunity, Randy. But, you know, any anywhere people can reach me, I just hope that they'll never look at me as unapproachable. Because um, while I am blunt and I am honest, I absolutely want what's best for them. I want them to be a laundromat millionaire because that means they're serving their community really well. Absolutely. Dave, I got one more question for you, and I'm going to put you on a spot a little bit. Sure. If you could go back and have a conversation with with young Dave Menz, maybe at a low point, whether that's uh, in childhood or whether that's going through bankruptcy or whether that's when things looked the bleakest, what does that conversation sound like? What do you say to young Dave? I think the quick conversation, which I don't really have quick conversations, Randy. <laughs> really? <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, I, think the, <laughs> I think the quick conversation is keep going. You're right. They're wrong. Because I cannot, I mean, the, the amount of people that have positively encouraged me in my life are fairly minimal. Um, I don't say that with a victim mentality. It's just reality. And I, I, think a lot of people are in that situation. I think a lot of people have a lot more negativity coming into their life than positivity. And so that's, that's the, that's what I would tell myself that I'm going to be okay. Uh, but I think we need a lot more of that in this world. Let's talk about, let's talk about what we can do versus what we can't do. Let's try to help our neighbor or our fellow laundromat owner build that building versus tear that building down. For sure. Great advice. Well, Dave, I can't thank you enough for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. And on a personal note, I appreciate everything that you're doing uh, within our industry to, to do exactly that, help us build, build each other up and create those opportunities for us to network and, and just get stronger by, by relying on each other. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for joining me. And I'm hopeful that I can get you back on the show at a, at another date if you're if you're willing to come back absolutely anytime and it won't take months for me to respond this time (laughs) (laughs) no worries no worries you are busy at the end of the day this i know i know that you do not sleep so um, i would absolutely love it anytime anyone in the industry that wants to give me the opportunity to share my message i want that opportunity great and uh, we will definitely be on the lookout for you at clean show and Definitely. And again, as, as you mentioned, you know, have a conversation, stop, stop Dave and, and ask him a question or introduce yourself. Uh, it only makes our industry stronger. Absolutely. Thank you for the time, Randy. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And thanks to all the listeners as well. Join us again and make sure to get the clean show this year. We'll see you next time on Laundromat Insights.